Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable, I am joined by my sister, Kay Kellum, and we're going to be discussing the librarian quest for the spear. Now, this stars Noah Wiley. It was a made-for-TV movie for TNT from 2005. Yeah. And it was followed up by two other uh, made-for-TV movies. Uh, Return to King Solomon's Mines was the second one. And then the third one was uh, the librarian uh, Curse for the Judas Chalice. Now, that third one had uh, Stan Akadik from uh, Castle. And and all three of them had Bob Newhart and Jane Curtin, known for numerous comedies over the years. Uh, Jane Curtin was in Third Rock. She also was in... Um, Kate and Alley. Kate and Alley. I was also thinking the uh, Unforgettable uh, yeah, TV series. Yeah, much more recently, yes. Uh, Bob Newhart is, of course, Bob Newhart from Bob Newhart, the Bob Newhart show. Uh, I think... I think he was in a sitcom with um from uh from oh, I'm blanking on his name uh um from numbers from uh unforget or from uh, forgotten or not forgotten uh for uh the the guy who was uh the medical examiner yes uh Judd Hirsch Judd Hirsch yes interesting um, because they did like a they were two radio uh, hosts or something interesting it didn't last long anyways. Um, so, uh, in addition to those people in The Librarian, Kelly Hu, um, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin, McLaughlin, uh, uh, Sonia, um, Walger, Walger, who I believe was in Lost. So, great cast for this. Basic premise of The Librarian is you've got, uh, Flynn Carson, who is a career student. He's working on his, like, 20 something if degree. He's been in college for 16 years. Just accumulating degree after degree after degree. He's getting, like, his fifth PhD or whatever degree in, in Egyptology. I mean, he's just... And he's covered botany, geology, uh, uh, geography, you name it, he's studied it. And basically, he gets booted out of school because his professor wants him to go have a life. Well, and his professor says, basically, you're everybody's best student. It's time to give others a chance to be the best student. He gets the grades, but he was a little bit of an annoying student. Yes. Because it's like, he knows so much, you can't really teach him much anymore. So he gets booted out of school and gets hired as the librarian. And this is basically a, a equivalent position to... Kind of like an Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Relic Hunter, uh, uh, National Treasure is another one. There's a couple of uh, Night at the Museum. Basically, you're the guy who knows the secrets, who's going and getting those mystic artifacts. The uh, In this case, it was the, uh, the... The Spear of Destiny. Spear of Destiny. Well, and you're the, the keeper, the organizer, the cataloger, the collector of these treasures who understands that if they fall into the evil powers into the possession of evil people. Mm -hmm. 
they will give them power that could be horrible. You know, at one point he opens a box, not sure what it is, and Bob Newhart's character comes over and says, you know, this box used to belong to a girl named Pandora, and let's just say I don't think the box should be opened again. It's the kind of of um story, plotline, premise, whatever, that again, like uh, a Tomb Raider, a Relic Hunter, Indiana Jones, uh, Warehouse 13. There were a lot of scenes that reminded me of Warehouse 13 with just the, you don't know quite what power this object has or what someone can do once they have it. Mm -hmm. Now, with this one, they're not going with new kind of arbitrary artifacts like Warehouse 13. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. You've got Excalibur. Mm -hmm. the, the, the true mythological things and history things are there. And, of course, they take some leeway for narrative purposes. But part of why we wanted to talk about the, the, this TV movie and the follow-ons is TNT has greenlit a series called The Librarians, plural, that's about to start up on... December 7th. December 7th. So right around the corner, I believe they're going to air all of these movies. They are. I, when I set my DVR to record The Librarians, I ended up with an entire day, it looked like, of it recording it. And I thought, well, I told it to only record the pilot when it aired. And I realized they were showing all three of the movies. So a six-hour block, if you will, leading up to a two-hour first episode. So, uh, on December 7th, people could have one heck of a day of The Librarians. Now, The Librarian, singular, uh, starred Noah Wiley. Mm -hmm. He's going to be reprising his role, but will not be starring in the series, because he's still going on with uh, Falling Skies right now. Right. He'll be recurring in the series. Uh, they said Jane Curtin and Bob Newhart will recur in the series as well. Bob Newhart plays Judson, who's kind of the curator of the library. Uh, Jane Curtin plays kind of the assistant or the, the office manager coordinator there. Mm -hmm. uh, both of them do a brilliant job in the span of the, the three movies. So having them reprise their roles and kind of do that handoff makes sense. Bob Newhart, not a young guy, so I would expect him to be used kind of sparingly. Well, and they're bringing in John Larroquette as the caretaker of the library. So I think he'll be kind of a half step between Bob Newhart and the librarians to ease the load on Bob Newhart, but still mean that we get some Bob Newhart scenes. And John Larroquette is just one heck both of an actor and a comedian. Oh, yeah. I would expect him to do a little of the wise old man Judson kind of role and a little bit of the I don't do humor, sarcastic, you know, kind of uh, that Jane Curtin kind of mm -hmm. was filling the thing. Mm -hmm. One would give, I mean, the, the Bob Newhart character of Judson was, was giving Noah Wiley's Flynn Carson character, uh, here's the goal, here's the, the hope, the awe, the, the impressiveness. And Jane Curtin's character was more kind of the reality check almost. Yes. Did you keep your receipts? Can you do the job? The more pragmatic. If you survive, we'll see you when you get back. Exactly. I can see Larroquette kind of balancing the two fairly well mm -hmm. and again like you said john larroquette just a, a brilliant actor uh and has a had a an impressive career going back to night court he's had his own show the john larroquette show 
He did uh, a series of made-for-TV detective movies, McBride. McBride. Mm-hmm. We watched a number of those. He played a lawyer, gone detective, great stuff. And he also was in uh, Boston Legal. As well, I was trying to remember if his guest appearances were on Boston Legal or on The Practice or if he moved between the two. Um, but he had some great episodes there. He One he did on, on the piano. Practice. I haven't seen all the ones on the practice. Those are the ones you're thinking of. But I think he became a regular as a different character That's on right. Boston Legal as a member of, of That's right. the firm. Because on the practice, he was uh, accused of a crime and put in jail for a crime. And at one point, he wanted to represent himself. And uh, he got one of the lawyers to visit him in jail. And he was trying to figure out doing his opening remarks as a musical number. And he had a piano. And he was playing it. And, it, I mean, it was fantastic comedy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, the an actor who can do both great drama and great comedy. And Noah Wiley showed that in this movie. Yeah. Well, again, um, Kelly Hu, some of the, the stuff she was doing in this movie... You've got this neophyte librarian who's just been hired. He's got essentially a, an assistant bodyguard kind of a thing, making him do things like jumping out of a plane without a parachute, and he's like just scared out of his wits. Meanwhile, on the enemy side, you've got uh, Kelly Hu's character, who's like, oh wow, he, 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 he fooled us into thinking he was this bumbling idiot, and he jumps out of a plane without a parachute. He's amazing! She becomes a fangirl of the enemy. Because she's seeing everything he's doing as intentional heroicism, mm-hmm. whereas he's just kind of falling into it almost. Yeah. And he becomes the hero in the course of the first movie. Definitely. And he learns a lot. Over the, the other two, he grows. And, you know, so you've got just great characters surrounding him. And then when they're moving this into the, the librarian's TV show, he's, I think, going to still be going off and doing his gallivanting off screen, I would imagine. We've talked about the supporting characters, John Larroquette, Jane Curtin, Bob Newhart. Uh, the lead uh, actors are going to be uh, Christian Kane. Mm-hmm, from Leverage. From Leverage. Uh, also was in the first season or so of Angel. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people uh, recognize him. Great actor. Well, and we should mention that all of this is a Dean Devlin uh, property and project, and he was behind Leverage. Yes, and- Dean Devlin created uh, both this property and Leverage. Christian Kane was on Leverage, so I think they're bringing stuff over. Mm-hmm. One of the other people I expect behind the scenes that's going to carry over is the director of the second two librarian movies was Jonathan Frakes, uh, Commander Riker in uh, Next Generation. But did a great job directing both of those. Has done a lot of TV directing as mm-hmm. well. I believe did some of it also on Leverage. He and did. He's worked with Dean Devlin, not only on, on the two films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would expect him to come along behind the scenes, bring his sensibility and his uh, directing style. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that impressed me is we watched these movies when they first aired on TNT. So back in, I think we said 2005, uh, 2006, and 2009. Yeah. And I hadn't realized, honestly, it had been that long since we had first seen them because they've really stuck with me. So I was just thinking that, you know, it had been more than five years or less than five years since we'd seen mm-hmm. The last one, but but the effects really hold up quite well. I mean, there were one or two where you're going, okay, this is definitely CG. But for 10 years ago that they were doing it, it holds up pretty darn well. For TV, made for TV yes. movie. Yes. For 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 
for what they were trying to do in terms of epic scope style, and not just oh, we've got an effect shot here or there. I mean, there were there a were lot ambitious shots. Yes. I mean, we're talking a what seemed like a two hundred and seventy degree waterfall, a la Niagara Falls, only we're down in the Amazon with a wood bridge going across it, and you know them on the wood bridge is CG. It has to be. And when the bridge doesn't survive them crossing it, it has to be CG. But well, it held up as a, you know, that's a pretty good shot effect, etc. When they get to the Buddhist temple, mm -hmm. there was an aspect of them walking in that courtyard that to me felt uh, green screened. Yes. And it very well may have been, but typically when you do that kind of a virtual set, if mm -hmm. it was, you watch where their feet go and it just doesn't quite land on, on where it should. Mm -hmm. That was something I felt about um, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. Heavy use of virtual sets, by and large did a great job, and that was just uh, last season. Mm -hmm. But again, where the feet fall versus where the the ground is, the... Well, and it what, feels off. It's not to the same about, scale. Yeah, what you're talking about with the Buddhist temple, they were in Shangri-La, and part of what they were trying to do is have this Buddhist temple be in literally a different season of the year than the background environment, where you could see in the distance it was winter and it was a horrible snowstorm with snow-capped mountains, and they're in Shangri-La, which is in like a spring or winter. And, and there's some... I think the wall, though, yeah. was what was also CG. Yeah. And that's what was making it feel... Exactly. At that wall, you saw the difference between yeah. the two. And it was almost like a hard break between the seasons. It's not like uh, something like be an Avatar or major theatrical release where it's like, wow, yeah. where does the, the real end and the, the virtual begin? Here you could tell, but again, 10 years ago, made for TV mm -hmm. and ambitious. Yeah. The number of effects shots, everything from the exterior of the plane as we set up that scene, him jumping out. There's a scene with a lot of animated butterflies. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. And not just in terms of the effects of it were beautiful, but story-wise. Because they walk into that scene... With her having a line along the scope of, you don't know anything about what makes my soul fly. You don't know anything about me. You're trying to impress me and you don't even know what that would take. And he makes all those butterflies take flight and dazzle her. And it's just that eye-opening moment of, girl, you've been so locked into your preconceived notions because from the moment you laid eyes on him, you labeled him nerd. Mm -hmm. And you had an opinion of what that word meant. And with one gesture, he opens your eyes to the fact you're just as clueless as you're accusing him of being. Well, it also goes to another aspect of the Flynn Carson character that I'm curious how they'll pull in or if they'll pull into the librarian's TV show. Mm. He, because he knows so much, has kind of that Sherlock Holmesian quality. He can look at somebody and tell you a, a surprising, staggering amount about their background. He can tell you, based on the cat hair he sees on your clothing, that you have three different cats. The the hyper attention to detail mm -hmm. and the ability to take that detail, know what those facts mean, and translate that into, mm -hmm. well, this must have been. And we've got, I think, four lead characters 
for the librarians because it's going to be kind of an ensemble show. We've got Christian Kane. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, again, we talked about uh, uh, Angel and, and uh, Leverage for him. We've got uh, Rebecca Romaine. Mm-hmm. She was most recently in King and Maxwell. And she knocked it out of the park. Oh, yeah. She did a great job there. She's been in mm-hmm. one or two other TV shows. She was also uh, Mystique in mm-hmm. the early X-Men films. You know, she is someone who, uh, she's married to Jerry O'Connell. Uh, okay, from Sliders. I hadn't realized that. She was, yeah. I think, married to John Stamos Previously, yes. Um, and she is someone who, I think, when she decided to move into acting for modeling, she took acting classes seriously, and just every year, as I've seen her do more and more projects, her acting has really improved and improved, and by the time she got to King and Maxwell, she was really nailing it. So I'm looking forward to seeing her in this. Keegan Maxwell was a 10-episode series. That was also TNT, wasn't it? It was, with John Tenney. John Tenney, um, who at one point was married to Terry Hatcher. Yes, from Smallville. Uh, No, from Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark, sorry. Wrong Superman. Wrong Lois. (laughs) Wrong Lois, yes, technically, yes. Um, My apologies. But John Tenney was one that, you know, it's like I, I knew who he was, but had never been that impressed. I've been watching him on The Closer and Major Crimes over the past 10 years, and he is another one who, because I've been seeing him in the same character, and that character's been evolving for 10 years, I've been watching him just amp it up and up and up, and then on King and Maxwell, he had a character with a few similarities, but also sort of a 180 difference Mm -hmm. on... um, Major Crimes and The Closer, it's all one character that moved from one show to the other. He's a uh, sniper, sharpshooter. Okay. And on King and Maxwell, he didn't want to touch guns. Well, King and Maxwell, both actors did such a a wonderful job, made it a very believable, fun Mm -hmm. show. There was good chemistry between them, and it's nice to see... That TNT is is really, I don't want to say standing behind, but uh, uh, continuing to work with actors, creators that have done well for them. Yeah. It's like, okay, King and Maxwell didn't work out. Great. Rebecca Romaine is going to move into to librarians. Don't know what John Tenney is going to do next, but Dean Devlin uh, and, and uh, Christian Kane, leverage worked out. Let's move them, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and there's talk of a John Tenney spinoff. For major crimes, and I'll be curious now that TNT is shifting a bit the direction mm-hmm. that they're taking their programming, if that'll happen, because they spent about four episodes last season setting that up. So, so. we've we've got again uh, Christian Kane, uh, uh, Rebecca Romain, uh, Lindy Booth is one of the other uh, uh, leads. She was in um, Relic Hunter, mm, okay. which was a syndicated show. I'm gonna say. Early 2000s, late 90s, maybe? I'd have to go check. I was thinking late 90s, but yeah, I'd have to Yeah, I think late look. 90s. Again, uh, a Tomb Raider-esque kind of a thing uh, starring Tia Carrere. And Lindy Booth was one of those, really, that's an interesting choice. But I think it fits. I think it makes sense. She's done a lot of other stuff. I don't really know what else. And then who was the... F- John Kim. John Kim is the fourth. And he's one of those, I can place the name, I can place a face, but I can't think of, yeah, I've seen him in this. Okay, so he's, so, he's kind of the uh, mm-hmm. the wild card or, or whatever on there. Now, they're doing a 10-episode season of The mm-hmm. Librarians. They are. Matt Fuhrer is playing kind of 
the recurring bad guy, I believe. I know he's recurring. I figured since what I saw didn't give a lot of specifics, that was the angle they would take him. I mean, I know him from other stuff, Orphan Black, especially recently. Orphan Black, Eureka, mm-hmm. uh, Max Headroom, of course. You know, he's he's got that distinctive voice. He's a great actor. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he pulls out and how he, I want to say, differentiates this from what he just did on Orphan Black. Now, going back to the librarian film we just rewatched, it's got a nice blend of action, adventure, mm-hmm. romance, uh, sense of humor, history, knowledge. Uh, it's it really plays into all of those things. And the character of, of Flynn Carson, again, is so much in that uh, archetypal vein of, again, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, uh, whatever the name of, of the Relic Hunter was. I think it was Sydney something or other. Uh, it's been one, a long time since I've watched that. Um, you know, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Again, you mentioned the similarity to Night at the Museum. Yeah, and National Treasure. And National Treasure. And I, I'm thinking yeah. there was one or two others yeah. that are kind of along those ilk of you've got the the scholar going after the history mm-hmm. and things like that. And there's just so much potential. It was less scholarly with, with Warehouse 13. Yes. But again, kind of fell into that, that whole... Well, and the one we just watched, Quest for the Spear, because it was the first one, he had absolutely positively no confidence that he could do anything but the bookworm scholarly aspects. Mm-hmm. In fact, at one point, I think the line was, she says, so you got it wrong. And he says, no, the facts I always get right. Everything else in my life I get wrong. Yeah, I, I got the facts right. It's everything else I get wrong or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. He's He's got an arrogance and a humbleness. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. And of course, Noah Wiley is just a great actor. And there's aspects of this character and his character on Falling Skies that I see mm-hmm. very similar and very different. Mm-hmm. On Falling Skies, his character is the scholar, is the teacher, the professor, mm-hmm. but is not arrogant. But it's a, we can learn from history, we must learn from history. Yes. And Falling Skies, he's a leader. Part of it natural born, part of it out of necessity, part of it out of fatherhood. Yes. You know, whereas on this one, he's the guy who... His First of all, his mom thinks he's probably never had a date. His mom is determined, Olympia Dukakis. Oh, yeah, Olympia Dukakis as his mom. It's, again, they, they didn't pull any punches when they cast that movie. Yeah, you know, and she is trying right up until the final scene of the movie, desperately to set him up on dates. She's heard Nicole's voice on the phone at one point and still seems to doubt that he's dating mm-hmm. someone. Well, in... In this movie, he plays the overgrown child. Yes. 30-year-old, still lives at home, whereas in Falling Skies, his character is the father figure, not just for his family, mm-hmm. but for the, the the second Massachusetts. Yeah. He, in Falling Skies, he is the ultimate responsible adult in every way you look at him. And in these librarian movies, there's a childish joy, especially when he's first exploring the library. He's giddy. He's a kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. And I've got to imagine if, if his character 
from Falling Skies were in the same situation, he would be much more reserved, much more, I don't want to say cold and calculating, mm. but looking, because again, different. Entirely different situations. Different situations, different backgrounds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also shows just the range of the actor. Yeah. Again, 10, uh, what, 11 years on ER, I guess it was? Yeah, we watched the uh, little introduction by Noah Wiley on the DVD before we started, and he mentioned he'd just come off 11 years on ER, and he wasn't being offered much in the way of comedies, and he got this script, and it had those comedic moments and a lot of comedy, and getting to do them with Bob Newhart, and getting to perform with Bob Newhart in his first fight scene on film ever. Well, I'm... I would be surprised if Bob Newhart had many fight scenes after this. He did a good job. Exactly. But not a young man. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those comments that made you stop and think and go, well, it makes perfect sense. That I mean, who casts Bob Newhart for a fight scene? Chuck Norris, you cast for a fight scene. It was interesting because also in that opening thing, uh, Noah Wiley was commenting how he'd brought his video camera so mm-hmm. he'd have that first footage of it ever, you know, in, in his personal collection. But also just what a joy it was for him to work with Bob Newhart, the sense of timing, the comedy, and he, he he made a comment, I forget exactly what it was, that implied that Bob Newhart had a very particular rhythm and mm-hmm. tempo and sense of timing to how he does his comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he does. He and does. He a comedy legend. One of my all-time favorite bits with Bob Newhart, and in fact, we didn't mention it, he was on the Dean Martin show. Oh, I hadn't realized that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bits of his is from the Dean Martin Show, and I I don't know the proper name of the sketch. I call it the toupee routine, and uh, Dean Martin goes in to return a toupee at the toupee shop, and Bob Newhart is the sales clerk, and Dean Martin just starts cracking up about 30 seconds in to this four-minute sketch or so. Mm-hmm. And he can't keep a straight face to save his life. And poor Bob Newhart is trying desperately, because this is a live show, to get through the sketch. At one point, Dean Martin says, just just tell me, what do you need? And Bob Newhart says, I need a straight man who can keep a straight face. Well, it's funny because Bob Newhart, his entire not his entire shtick, that's uh, not the right way to put it. Most of his routines are, and this is part of why in uh, the, the Newhart show when he was uh, in the uh, Vermont Inn, mm-hmm. they would do the bit with the telephone and stuff. Mm, yes. Most of his stuff was one side of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And he was so effective at painting the scene that you, you knew what the other side was saying, even though you don't hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's as if you were overhearing somebody's, you know, one side of a phone call. And he was such a master at that craft. Uh, a number of his comedy albums, because he's from the era where people did comedy albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bu- Button Down Mind, uh, The Return of the Button Down Mind, they're all kind of like that. You go to Amazon, search on Bob Newhart under CDs, and some of his routines are just hilarious. There's, uh, you know, what if there had been a marketing guy who was coaching uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln for the Gettysburg Address? Really? Yeah. And, you know, so you've got, um, again, just 
the ad guy's side of the thing. You you can tell what, what Lincoln's saying based on, mm-hmm. again, the comments. Um, So, uh. Bob Newhart doing a comedy routine with somebody else. I could see where that would almost just throw off his timing in general, because it's like he's not expecting anyone else. Mm. Doesn't need anyone else. Yeah. You know, but he's also just the, the great straight man, the... He gives the good reaction shots. We saw plenty of that here. He did a great voice of God in terms of the disembodied voice that mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere with the question. Oh, he did that so well. He's just uh, incredibly talented, so I'm glad he's reprising his role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I hope he gets to do as much as he wants to do in the TV show. Uh, he was used very well in uh, the other two movies. The, the the third of which, uh, the one that had uh, Stanley Caddick from uh, Castle, takes place in New Orleans. Mm. And it was interesting because the character of Judson basically shows up more out in the field. And you see at one point uh, Flynn's gone for a, a shave or whatever. And through the course of the entire thing at the barbershop, Judson is different people in the thing. Mm, mm-hmm. Like he swapped out for at one point he's giving the shave and at another point he's one of the other customers. It's uh, It had to be very interesting for them to, to do all the timing and the shooting of that, but it worked out well. And it goes towards, you know, Judson, as was clear from the first movie, not your average Joe. Yeah, he's a very interesting character with... I'm torn between saying interesting abilities and just kind of like he he seems to appear in televisions to talk to Flynn when he needs to be told something. He did that. There was the time when we first see him, he kind of magic, literally magically walks in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a supernatural aspect to him. They later in the other two films kind of allude to was he one of the guys who founded mm-hmm. the library? Well, and in this one, he commented he had been a librarian. So he may, I wonder if he was the first librarian or something to that effect. The implication is he was. Yeah. uh, In one of the later films. Because I rewatched them at one point, I think when they announced they were going to do the TV show. Smart. Yeah. I want to rewatch the other two because, like I said, I'm surprised how long it's been. They're fun films. If you like that kind of sense of of action, adventure, the quest, Mm -hmm. can we solve the puzzles to get through the ancient booby traps and stuff like that. All of that is in full play here. The music is fun in this one. I mean, I was teasing you that there were aspects of it that made me feel like we were about to watch one of those uh, stage play type attractions at Disneyland. Of They just go into the fun, upbeat, and now for the show, music. Well, it also has that Indiana Jones music quality to it. Yeah, a little bit indie, a little bit Stargate at times, a little yeah. bit mystical, magical. Yeah, very much so. It's um, And I'm trying to think if the composer for Stargate and Indy were the same guy or not. I think one was John Williams, the other. I'm not sure who did the, uh, the Stargate stuff. But it's got that sense of high adventure mm-hmm. of uh, kind of this isn't your average day kind of, you know what I yeah. mean? It's, there's... there's a sense of wonder to the music, I guess would be the way to, to put it, in the appropriate places. Mm-hmm. So definitely worth uh, checking these things out, the librarian movies, when they're being reshown on TNT. I was going to say, if you haven't seen them, definitely set your DVR and record them. They're worth it. I, I liked them enough. I've got them on DVD. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to be checking out the Librarian's TV show when that starts up. Uh, probably by that one, it's on DVD. Again, Dean Devlin 
what he did on Leverage. That was a fantastic show. That was one that I originally watched. It's like, well, you know, Christian Kane, okay, I saw him in Angel and stuff. He was good. You know, it's a heist kind of a thing. That sounds interesting. At the time, didn't know any of the other cast. I liked the tagline. Sometimes the only good guy you get is a bad guy. Kind of the sometimes the person you least expect to help you and to do the right thing is the only person who can help you. Mm-hmm. Well, and that show had a great con artist meets Mission Impossible meets heist film. It, it, mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a mashup of a couple of things. Yeah. But it so quickly got its own sense of identity and mm-hmm. style. Yeah. And stuck to that in, in as an appropriate way. It evolved. Yeah. But it, it, it became what it was early on, and it was what it was continuously. Yeah, it always felt like they were after a sense of justice for the little guy. Well, if you think back to the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, they were originally doing it on film versus video. They had uh, more theatrical or, or cinematic lighting mm-hmm. than what we would get later on. Mm-hmm. The the characters were fairly stiff. They changed the wardrobe, the makeup for one of like Worf or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It took that show at least until the second or third season to really become what it became. Well, they changed uh, Troy's wardrobe so dramatically that at one point the actress was actually receiving fan mail asking her if she had gone and gotten breast implants because she looked different. And she's like, no, they just changed the costume. They changed my bra, and I'm still me underneath, I promise. It's just wardrobe change. Changes to the hairstyle, the costume, the nature of her position on the ship changed. Yes, and they did some nice changing her from being purely a counselor, kind of putting her into the officer structure. But again, that was a show that took a while for them to realize what they should be trying to make and get to where that's what they really were making. Mm-hmm. Whereas Leverage pretty much made that transition very quickly. And I'm hoping, particularly with the 10-episode season and three movies setting it up, that the librarians already is going to have an innate sense of what the world is. It's just a matter of how do these couple of new characters fit into there. Mm-hmm. So I've got, and again, Dean Devlin, like I said, a strong, strong creative uh, force. He's worked with um, at least Christian Kane before. Uh, not sure about the others. Uh, Rebecca Romaine has, has done King and Maxwell on TNT. I mean, these are people who've all, except for maybe John Kim, who I don't know anything about. All of them have done series television. Yeah. So that gives them a leg up. They've got a defined world to fit into. The commercials I've seen look like a lot of fun. They do. The commercials have a wonderful sense of humor to them, which I'm enjoying. Because I think that captures a lot of what I feel came from the movies. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just a question of, again, what aspects of of be it Flynn or, or whatever it takes to be a librarian, do they put into these different characters? How are they going to be similar? How are they going to be different? How do they play well together? Mm-hmm. Do we rotate through the four? Do they work as a team? Is one of them kind of like Nicole, the bodyguard-ish character? Yeah. I mean, I could easily see where, okay, maybe Rebecca Romain plays that role. Maybe she doesn't. You know, it's there's so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's it's starting from, I think, a strong position. Yes. You know, some shows, they start with a, a blank slate and that helps them. Sometimes that doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. Here, 
they're not starting from there. They've got two, three-hour or three two-hour TV movies behind them. Uh, granted, five years have passed since that last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least production-wise, I would uh, time-wise, I would assume narratively too. Um, so we'll see where they go on this. But TNT is one of those networks that I think it's easy for people to overlook TV shows on. I'm afraid so, and really, they put out a lot of good shows. You just have to remember to go look for them. Well, and again, with this, since they're showing the, the, the TV movies leading up to it, mm-hmm. they're trying to launch it strong. They are. You know, and I, I really appreciate that. They seem to support the shows they produce. Yeah, and I think the movies are on video on demand as well on uh, most cable boxes. Even if they're not, like I said, I know they're on DVD. I'm pretty sure that they are would be on uh, video on demand on Amazon. Probably. I'm not certain of that, but they're accessible. Yeah. And, again, a lot of fun, well worth um, worth watching. You know, it's it's also nice that they don't completely make up the history they deal with. True, yeah. Now, how much of the science they make up? Don't know. Some of that, maybe. I mean, obviously, they've got a heavy supernatural component to it. This is not a grounded-in-reality series, nor would I expect it to be. Yeah. Well, but but that goes back to the reminding me a bit of Warehouse 13. mm Mm-hmm. And in good ways. Yeah, yeah. I think they've really both drawn the best from others, but also they may well have inspired Warehouse 13 and a few others, given... They were out 10 years, the library was out 10 years ago. I would think so. I mean, the warehouse had more of a U.S., well, actually, they get away from the U.S. government aspect of it over the course of the seasons. It's very similar in concept, the warehouse to the library. Mm-hmm. You've got the the elder statesman caretaker, you know, um, who actually I would say Artie is kind of the equivalent of the Jane Curtin character. Mrs. Frederick was the equivalent of the Judson character. Um You've got a way less scholarly type. Well, I don't know, actually. Um, Micah. Yeah, Micah was very on knowledgeable. On Warehouse was, was fairly smart and knowledgeable on that. Yeah. So you could argue you could make a lot of parallels between them. They're all in the same genre. Yeah. And it's it's hard to kind of label that genre. I was going to say, I don't know why I would name the genre, but I would definitely say it's far more enjoyable than you expect when you first read a description of it. Because it's very hard to put words to, but it's a fun ride. It's it's the archaeological heist at times. It's the mystery solving and all of mm-hmm. that. It's... Well, it's the genre where those tidbits of knowledge that you never thought would be useful get pulled out by a character and prove to be shockingly useful in the most unexpected circumstances and in a fun way. You know, when Nicole goes to reach for a piece of the spear and he pulls her back and proves that he can't throw a baseball worth a damn when he's nervous... But then he does actually knock the spear off of where it's being held and a booby trap drops. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the, yeah, most of us who have read about the ancient Mayans, etc., know they booby trapped everything. 
Well, and I think even more so in cinematic mythology. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And what I did enjoy was how most of these booby traps usually took a minute or two to kick in. They did. They were slow booby traps. There's the step on the stone and the the arrows shoot back and forth. That was instant. There was the knock the thing down, the spear down with the baseball rock throwing bit. That was reasonably instant. But then when they were opening the door to this whole thing, that took a, a... about 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Buddha thing later, that took a bit. So it's it'd be interesting to see at some point how some of that in these mythological worlds, how that was constructed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering how much they're going to be able to do with some of this on a 10-episode weekly TV series. Mm. Because, I mean, you start with a, a major motion picture, scale it down for direct-to-video, scale the budget and scope down a little for TV, which is what they did here, and they still really f- blew away, I think, reasonable expectations. Yeah. Scale it further down for, for weekly TV series. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see, because... They've had the lead time. They've they've gone in, hopefully, with a game plan. Well, and that's where we're fortunate to be in an age where effects have progressed so far in what they can do affordably for weekly TV shows. That's true. What would have been major motion picture effects, I think some people with spare time could do on a YouTube video. Yeah. So, certainly expectations, I think, have, have increased as the, the technological hurdles have decreased. Mm-hmm. And at which point it comes down to, do you have good writing? Yes. And that will be a key to the show. I think believable premises. I mean, I don't expect to believe every word of history, etc. But if they can give me a premise I can buy into mm-hmm. at the beginning of each episode. A premise we can buy into and characters that are engaging, believable, mm-hmm. and have chemistry. Yes. Yeah. And Dean Devlin, I mean, to me, that's the the big question. Is this a good mix of characters? Yes. Dean Devlin has proven, in my mind, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he can do that both in general and with leverage, just specifically. Yes. But that raises the, the, the bar a little for Christian Kane. Is his character going to be sufficiently like and different from the character of Elliot from Leverage? Very true. And does he just hit the same notes as an actor, or does he do something different? I mean, yeah. I can see wins and losses on both sides, no matter which way he goes. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's just a fun character, and at which point none of the other stuff matters. Yeah. I think if it's really good characters with believable premises, then a few details can slide in each episode. Well, for me, it's not even details. It's... He always had a sense, uh, uh, Elliot on, on leverage, of kind of the, you've got to be kidding me, this again, you yeah. know, kind of the exasperated yes. kind of a deal. And on the one hand, that sort of a thing would fit in the librarian world, but I don't want him to hit the same creative notes as an actor. Yeah, yeah. So, again, I'm, I'm looking to the fact it's an ensemble cast to, to spread some of that sorts of things out. Yeah, definitely. And for that matter, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the regulars from from Leverage guest star. That would be nice. And some of the guys from Falling Skies coming over and showing some of the other aspects of their acting ability. Because we've seen so much of their serious, I can survive an alien invasion acting on Falling Skies. That's true. Um, 
I'd love to see some of them come over and I want to say show a little more of their normal real world acting. Well, it's like I said about Summer Glau a while back. You know, there are some actors that you see them in so many of these extreme roles that you just want to step back and see them as the girl or the guy next door just for them to prove I can do a 100% normal yeah. straight role. Well, from Falling Skies, the one I'd like to see guest star would be um, Colin Cunningham, who plays John Pope. Yes. Now, his character of Pope is so different than the Major Davis character he played on Stargate. Yes. The straight-laced military guy. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to see him, were he to come into the, the librarian's world, would be a more socially awkward, comedic, early Flynn mm-hmm. kind of character. Mm-hmm. Something that's not the, this guy is, is, is a competent military officer, or this guy is a bit of a, a, a psycho but useful one in, in Falling Skies. Something that's got, let him stretch some comedic uh, acting yeah. muscles. Well, Sarah Carter from Falling Skies has a, a Christmas movie out on, I believe, Hallmark this season. And after several seasons of seeing her as the aliens destroyed our world, toughened cancer survivor, Mm. hard-edged Maggie, seeing her as the soft, about-to-be-engaged, getting her PhD. Definitely, I could see where that would bring a different side of the actress out. Yeah. Seeing her in this Christmas movie was just kind of relaxing to, by comparison to Falling Skies, and it was really nice to see her do that. Well, again, Falling Skies, another TNT show. They've mm-hmm. shown, hey, Noah's got that going at TNT. We're doing the librarians thing. How can we make that work? Yeah. I like how TNT is, is building up a, a strong lineup of good shows, not having them kind of cutthroat competition with one another. Yeah. But but almost a, a complementary aspect of all of that. And I think that's a a huge win for them in the long term. Well, and I like that, for instance, during December, it looks like several of the shows we normally watch are going to be airing reruns. But lo and behold, TNT is going to have new episodes of The Librarians on, as a for instance. They tend to do a good... Uh, counter-programming strategy, as does yeah. USA. Yeah. Where they'll put stuff on during lulls in other in the main network seasons. Yeah, and I really appreciate that because I'm one of those people that if I've already seen the episodes, I don't really care to watch reruns. I'd rather watch new something, even if it means I'm watching something else over on other networks. Mm-hmm. I tend to not to watch reruns, but I also tend to pick up TV shows on DVD because some of them are well worth rewatching. Yeah, exactly. But that's more of a marathoning kind of a yes a deal. Yeah. So hopefully people will check this out. Uh, both the librarian movies. Uh, we we, uh, we just watched the first one. Talked about that some here. We've talked a little bit about the other two, uh, where it's just he continues his adventures, going after different things. Um. And the Librarian's TV show starting up on December 7th on TNT, I think is well worth checking out. Anyone Definitely. who's into kind of the genre stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of property that in the comic book realm kind of does and doesn't get touched on. You get mm. the Tomb Raider type stuff. Um, and again, it's it's the hard to, to nail down exactly what that genre is. Yeah. But the, the archaeologist going and seeking the treasures, again, it's a staple of of entertainment uh, that sometimes you get it with just the classic heroes and villains and stuff in, in the superhero worlds as well. 
Yeah. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? That does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.